0: Howdy do, buckaroos. This is greetings from the Uncanny Valley. I am Kelly Gamont. With me as always is Don Melton. Party on, Don. Party on, Garth. Also with us this week, we have a special guest, Nathan Alderman. Hi, Nathan. Howdy. Howdy, Glad you're with us. Howdy. Um, uh, Thanks for coming by. And as always, thanks to uh, Jason and everyone at The Incomparable for hosting us over here on the TV podcast. This is... Is the this is the one where Don and I and now Nathan step into analysis for season three, episode two, the Winter Line, and we hopefully will bring you uh, some theories and some observations. But we want to start this episode right at the beginning of the episode with the opening credits because they're new this season and we haven't had a chance to really talk about it yet. So let's go.
1: Oh, uh, can I ask you a question before that? Uh, yeah before we, even though I reminded you folks right before the show started I said Kelly let's talk about the what's it called again at the beginning of the show the credits but then I realized when you're doing the nice intro on Nathan we should find out about Westworld why he's like deigning to do this podcast with us
0: and how we got <laughs> into the show and
1: what he's thought about season
2: one and season two and season three so far
0: Just all right so opinions. Nathan what's your deal
2: well, um, <laughs> one of the first uh, episodes of the mainstream and comparable podcast I was ever lucky enough to be on was uh, the episode about the first season of Westworld, Team Killer Robot, uh, which is yeah. I am Team Killer Robot in this series. Um, <laughs> I love Westerns, and uh, that's one of the things I miss the most about the show this season is uh, the first two seasons did a great job of working in the science fiction while also giving good Western, especially that first season. Uh, I love me some, some gunfights and shootouts and stage coaches and train robberies and all that stuff. Um, but I also enjoy the very thoughtful way that the show not only upends the premise that Michael Crichton originally had by making you sympathize with the robots, but also is working in all these really powerful metaphors for class in modern society, um, Uh, And even stronger this season with the the growing similarities that we saw, even in the first episode between Caleb and Dolores. So that's that's why I'm here. Plus, uh, you know, like I said, uh, also, uh, what's her name? Armistice? I'm here for Armistice. The way she uh, giggled upon discovering what a submachine gun was, was uh, one of the great all-time moments of television for me.
0: Yes. (laughs) One of our favorites here as well.
1: Yes. Yes, very much so. And uh, we can... Completely go down the path with you on your uh, thinking on that. Hopefully, we'll get a little bit of Wild Sex, uh, Western Sex Robots uh, again this season. But it's probably not going to be too much, I guess. I, I get the feeling that uh, they're planning on maybe circling back around for Season 4. I don't know. It's just a theory. So the credits... So, have you been a big analyzer fan of not just uh, Raman Jawadi's Marvelous Music, but also the visual aspect of the credits and the themes uh, that go there? What do you think about those?
2: Uh, me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm really interested in the credits for this season because I feel like, the credits are the creator's secret message to us. They're trying to tell us what's going to happen this season and what it's going to be about. But they're going to make us work for it. Like, oh, I don't know, literally every other season of this show in every aspect <laughs> of storytelling.
1: Bingo.
2: Uh, but I, I'm most interested in two of the new images. I mean, some of it is, is pretty obvious that The the circle globe thing with the lights on it is is obviously, what is it, Rehoboim?
1: Yeah, yeah uh, Rehoboim.
2: I want to call it Rehoboth, um, but it <laughs> would be an offense to the great state of Delaware. Um, but I really like I mean let's start with the obvious one the eagle that we see getting assembled um, previously it was the 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 cow I think last season, and then we get that that scene later in season two where the cows stampede this idea of something wild and running out of control. Um, this season it's the Eagle and what happens to the Eagle after it gets assembled by the nifty robot arms. Oh, it flies too close to the sun. Um, and, you know, yeah. Uh, which could be, that could be Dolores. That could mean that, that her, uh, ambitions, uh, outstrip her abilities, or it could be some of the human characters. We'll talk about, uh, what is it? Seroc and the big Mm -hmm. mistake that, that he makes this week, um, later on. But, um, so so I'm interested to see, but it seems like hubris is going to be a theme this season. And then we also see a female robot figure who's meant, I think, to be Dolores, floating upward toward her reflection from under a pool of water. She just breaks the surface and then gets dragged back down again. And as she does, mm-hmm. her, ro- her person shell falls away and we see the robot underneath. So something tells me that Dolores' grand revolution is not going to go the way she planned, but... Yes. Those are my thoughts about the credits. I'd love to hear, as the teddy to your Bernard and Dolores, I would love <laughs> to hear your thoughts.
0: Um, I'm I'm really curious about um, the very end, because we used to get the host dipped in the milk bath, or whatever it was, and this time it's red, and the, the figure on the frame that goes in is one of the drone hosts, no face things the really scary ones that walk around and we that like aren't supposed to be able to like do anything the um, apple
2: store cybermen
0: yes that those exactly <clears throat> those um it's one of those that gets dipped into the red which was very odd and i was curious about that and i did like um this time and i haven't done the the Side by side by side comparison from each season, but between season one and season two, the hands that play the piano are different, and uh, I think they're a little different this time as well, but I don't remember. And I kind of want to check that. Um, I have yet to venture into Reddit yet, so uh, to see any of these, but um, that's the other one that I'm wondering about. And uh, I it was only it wasn't the first time through. I think it was the second or third time through the premiere that I noticed that as the figure is fo- is going back down into the water that you can see that the face has come open and it's like the old style robot face like uh the the young Ford in the park when his face pops open it's like in those quadrants uh which was which was very interesting to me because I'm curious like what that means for our characters um, and I liked the I, I did like the eagle. I thought the eagle was just kind of nifty as a new thing, you know, like we've built we've built things that can walk. Let's see what we can build that that flies yeah, yeah.
2: and I would say, um, I mean, obviously the red liquid could be blood, but isn't there a lot of red liquid hanging out at the forge? Yeah, yeah, so that could be a possibility,
1: yes, yeah. so and red has uh, symbolism in Westworld for other things, not just for blood, but yeah. it's usually an indicator for, uh, you know, just violence and other things, like pay attention to this.
2: Um, Plus red uh, liquid is like one of J.J. J. Abrams' favorite things ever. Yes. Yeah. I thought the other things that were
1: uh, significant in this was the playing with reflection. You know, you mm-hmm. were talking about the, uh, what might be a Dolores figure reaching for, up to another figure, and then you realize that's a, refre- a reflection, and it's also kind of a God, um, God creates Adam motif, you know, from episode uh, ten of season oh. one when Ford, you know, mentions that. So reflections, the yeah. This uh, yeah, the Sistine Chapel ceiling. So there's a little bit of that. I thought when it starts out where you have the uh, what is it the little flower, uh, thistle, I'm trying to think of the word, where the little... The
0: dandelion, isn't it? The
1: dandelion goes
0: off, and but yeah.
1: it goes off, and it has like little arcing lines. It's very
0: mm-hmm.
1: mathematical. And then that takes you immediately, because it's very circular, to this picture that you realize then is uh, Rehoboam, uh, another circular picture, and then that takes yep. you to the cell dividing... Uh, which I think is yeah. kind of indicative of this whole thing of the birth of a new species, which Dolores talks about. So uh, and then you have the uh, quite a few other cir- uh, circular motifs, but it's also the reflection, mm-hmm. circular uh, stuff uh, and the the red in the end. And I agree with you, I don't think it's necessarily blood, but kind of striking, isn't it?
0: Kind of it striking. really is, because it's also the only color in the open.
1: Yeah, it's the only color in the open.
0: Uh, yeah. The only
1: color
2: that's ever been in the open, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so the other thing that I think that is very interesting about the credits is who's credited. Because it's mm-hmm. uh, Evan Rachel Wood has top billing. Tandy Newton has second billing. Jeffrey Wright is third. Tessa Thompson is fourth, Aaron Paul is fifth, and that's always constant. And then they have the other characters, like this episode, it would have been Luke Hemsworth and Simon Quarterman. Mm -hmm. And then they have the with, which I thought was really odd with, for example, this episode, Vincent Cassell, and at the end, and Ed Harris. But the thing is, other than in a flashback, we still ain't seen us any Ed Harris. What mm-hmm. the hell? But obviously I think that's he's just a making, contractual thing. Yeah, yeah. I, it's probably a contractual thing. and uh, I wish I made that kind of money for uh, being uh, uh, contracted. The other thing I'd like to point out, and you see it more clearly on the from behind shot, and it's usually when Ed Harris is credited, you see the eagle flying. Not into the sun, in some Icarus motif necessarily, but what it really looks like is a jet engine. It's mm-hmm. also something mechanical. So what, is that, what does that mean?
2: Why? Well, uh, when a bird flies into a jet engine, pilots refer to that as a bird strike or as something, you know, it is generally considered something that pilots wish to avoid. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, an intersection of nature and technology that ends in calamity. Yep yep very much so. yeah uh, there's also something I wanted I thought of regarding the the robot coming, maybe Dolores coming up to the the surface, trying to touch their reflection. That's the myth of F- echo and narcissus, trying to to make a connection with someone who you know you can't reach them, you don't understand them, you think you do, but you know when you try to reach for them, you can never actually get a hold of them.
1: Mm. hmm hmm
2: Interesting.
1: Well, so. you know, that, that there could be something to that. And we know what uh, illiterates uh, Lisa and Jonathan are. So, um, mm. uh, speaking of the classics, they obviously like the classics. Uh, there are so many biblical motifs this season. I'm yes. like, you know... I, I just want to say, sometimes uh, you know, just get out of that, get out of that church. Come outside here uh, for a while because it's <laughs> really, it's really kind of thick. And so I'm curious about how much they're using it as motifs, and mm-hmm. how much they're using it as. Are they actually going to get preachy? So yeah, uh, I don't know.
2: Well, when you have talk of gods and giving birth to new species, um, angry gods versus loving gods, the Bible is a pretty natural source material. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Dolores has not exactly been subtle about how, you know, uh, I think she's setting herself up as the the god of this world, um, or a wannabe god. Uh, uh, and obviously Rehoboam is seems to be god, this mysterious, all-powerful, unknowing or an unknowable thing that no one can see inside that determines everybody's destiny.
1: Or but I wanted to talk about as we about call it, issues. Facebook.
2: Yeah. Oh <laughs> yes. <Ugh.
0: laughs>
2: I wanted to talk about the shows. homage much to one of the other great classics of the Western canon, namely the Incredible Hulk TV series with Bill Bixby. You yes. mentioned Bernard's Hulk <laughs> out button in previous weeks, but they are leaning hard on that, especially last week. Bernard is hiding out. In, uh, in an obscure, you know, menial job uh, until he is threatened by bullies, at which point he unleashes his rampaging alter ego against his will to defend himself. Then has to sadly walk away and abandon everything he's built and created uh, to the tune of sad piano music and go off to try and find someplace else. Um, yeah, so, I mean, he doesn't turn green, but pretty much Jeffrey Wright is playing the Hulk this season. And
1: I'm, I'm here for it. I hey I i do, i don 't have a problem with this bill bixby
2: impression i don 't have a problem with that at all
0: <laughs>
2: so but Bernard Hulk also brings up a really interesting thing the, the show 's talked about the bicameral mind before, but it 's really interesting to me to see uh, in Bernard last episode and especially with um, with Stubbs this episode the way Bernard is kind of manipulating him and updating his code. Uh, the hosts have a consciousness, but then under that they have this this subconscious that is you know directing and constructing their actions. and for them, it's very literal. They have this higher consciousness and this lower consciousness and it's interesting to see those two things in communication with each other.
1: Yeah, I, I, I like to think of it as uh, Bernard, both episodes has went into uh, debug mode, right? Yeah, uh, where, he, where he's spewing stuff to the console, so to speak. Um, and, sorry, nerd, you know, programmer. Uh, and uh, you're right. It's like uh, <coughs> it is literally the bicameral mind. I hadn't thought of it. I hadn't thought about it in putting that label on it. Uh, so skipping ahead a little bit to this episode, what did you think about the uh, conceit for using... Um, uh, uh, the virtual world, the the Matrix homage, or from last <laughs> season, uh, the uh, you know, Mave, um, uh, Mave in a dream within a dream.
2: Well, one, I just love watching Tandy Newton get to play James Bond, yes. and that's exactly with, with all the spying and everything, and those amazing one-liners. I almost died for a second time. Third time's the charm, darling. Oh that's, fantastic. that's awesome. Um, but I also really loved the, the, the deep gut punch of existential horror that you get when Maeve realizes she's in a prison that she can't touch, that she can't interact with. And, and the the horror of that, of being so completely trapped. Have you ever had a dream where you knew you were dreaming and you were stuck in the dream and couldn't get out? That, that kind of suffocating feeling of helplessness. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah that's that's Morpheus's lines uh, to Neo in The Matrix
2: right there. <laughs> yeah. But but I, I loved that and then I loved seeing Maeve find a way out. Yes. Think her way out of that trap while still embracing all of the crazy, you know, World War II spy tropes um, in in glorious fashion.
0: It was so good. And watching her watching her outthink it. Was really like it was interesting because you could see the wheels were turning, you know, and she wasn't standing around going, I'm thinking about this, you know, and and it wasn't hitting us over the head with it. And then all of a sudden she would go do something and you would be like, why on earth? Oh, and it was really fun to watch that spin out. I was sad that uh, Lee Sizemore didn't make it. Because I really wanted to meet the guy that lived through all that. Because it seems like he would probably be awesome.
2: And he was. And and that bit about him talking about how he wanted to give someone a happy ending. That really mm-hmm. touched me. And it made it even sadder when you realize that, one... Yes! You know, when, when Lee has to face the fact that he is a scripted creation and, and a copy of himself that isn't even true to the original. That mm-hmm. They kind of gloss over that. But, oh, man, that's horrifying. And two... Well, to May me, that's, yeah,
1: that, that's much worse existential dread for me is like when you're uh, for someone to realize that they're not real. Right. Yeah. That's just horrifying. It's not that you're trapped. It's that you're not really who you think you are. And yeah. I, I could spend a not just five minutes in an episode of TV. I could spend multiple episodes of television exploring that creepy ass uh, idea. I did think yeah. the you know the c- crime who done it how do i get out of here was interesting. But as an engineer, I thought it was, you know, bad Star Trek hokum that, you know, <laughs> you know you would you would overload the computer that way to have by having a bunch of people talk about a complex problem when Jesus, just having the simulation running and, you know, moving all those bits around is obviously a, uh, a lot more uh, data and calculation. But, yeah. hey, what do I know? I'm just an engineer.
0: <laughs> so, well, I, Maeve,
2: I, Maeve kind of hangs a lampshade on that by making fun of how badly they have programmed the system. Yeah. That I enjoyed a lot. Yes. That particular part.
1: <laughs> yes. yes. Good point.
0: Uh, I I did spe- really enjoy that. What what
1: really did upset me though was I oh, I just love Rodrigo Santoro as Hector. And having oh. uh and having uh brain dead Rodrigo Santoro, you know, basically uh he has uh, what's the stupid uh lobotomy. It was just
2: yeah. just broke my
0: heart. Oh, it was sad.
2: Yeah, yeah, but it's not really him. It's just their bad copy of him. Uh, right. He might be one of the, the brain balls in the purse.
1: Yeah. he Yeah, he, he might be. Uh, and I it, it was also uh, sad to see uh, uh, Felix and Sylvester used so sparingly since they're just such, one, marvelous characters, and two, yes. played by such marvelous actors. And so I really hope in these pittance of eight episodes that we get that will yeah. get those boys uh back our favorite I uh lab really, techs
0: really want to yeah i i really need them back because they we were did. they were so fun in season two so what, yeah, did you, Nathan,
1: what did you think about the the other two lab techs we saw
2: in the real world well okay i have to say um I'm a heretic. I've watched maybe mm-hmm. the first few episodes of game of Thrones and then was like, nah, this isn't for me, but you know, I've read all the spoilers and everything. So, um, seeing Benny off and Weiss, I-, I twigged to who they were pretty quickly. Uh, I, I, you, you know that park four is called Westeros world, right?
1: Yeah,
2: of course. <laughs> but of course. I thought that, Um, I don't know if this was intentional. If it was, I love the show even more. But casting Benny Offenweiss as Tex was kind of inspired for me. Because think about it. Previously, we've seen Tex be kind of overtly creepy, especially toward female hosts. Tex have been you know, have treated female hosts like pieces of meat, have exploited them, have done untoward things to them and never thought twice about it. Mm-hmm. And then you think back to some of the critiques of how female characters were treated in Game of Thrones. There's all this gossip about Amelia Clark after her first few episodes being like, I am never appearing naked again. This is way too creepy. Yeah. And so in that light, casting off and Weiss as Tex uh, takes on an interesting subtext. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I...
1: I think it was both gratuitous of them to do that. It kind of take took you out of the episode, and I thought it was an odd decision for uh, Nolan and Joy that way. But I also, in an odd way, had more respect for them to do that because you got to whatever you think about their creative decisions, especially for the last season of Game of Thrones they obviously are fairly self-aware, so they would have gotten yeah.
2: that. Um, these are two yeah. guys who pitched a series to HBO where the Confederate States of America were alive oh, and no. well in the modern day. I'm not sure how self-aware they are.
0: No, he means, Nolan and he mean, he means oh. Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. No, no, I, yes, I, sorry. no,
1: no, no, Benioff, Benioff, no, 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 no. I meant Benioff and Wise. I, I, I meant yeah. Off and oh. I think they're self-aware for, uh, for, uh, uh, for that. I think that a creative decision that you're talking about, which thank God HBO spiked that. Uh, yes, uh, I don't think we know enough about that to know where their head was at it. So, whatever. So anyway, I th- uh, you know, I think they get the 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 jokes about that, but you also have to remember when they filmed this, uh, the final season of Game of Thrones had not aired yet. So there is yep. that too. It so may we'll have see. been
0: viewed a little differently in. In a different context, I would say. But I also enjoyed the little... I haven't seen a lot of people discussing the little throwaway lines that they get there. Where um, uh, one of them says, yeah, it's going to uh, start up off of Costa Rica, which is where Jurassic Park was in yeah, their Ke- novels. Because I just read those. And Kelly
1: picked up on that right away. And I had to <laughs> <like> <laughs> back up over the dialogue like, that's son amazing. of a gun. The other thing that I did not uh, get until I backed up over the scene was uh, when uh, Stubbs has to go in and fight everybody while, you know, Bernard is doing the yeah.
2: self-diagnostic. The little loot player out there uh, playing the Game <laughs> yes. of Thrones uh, theme. No, he's playing the Westworld theme on a loot. I'd rather... ding, 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 ding. ding. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, it was
1: delightful. Yeah, so, so they, uh, uh, they had a little fun, but my problem with the whole thing was it was gratuitous and it took me out of the episode. You get yeah, to it do was that,
2: silly for a show that that is very tries very hard to not be silly, right?
1: Yeah. So, uh, and it was a little too extended. So you get to do that something silly once a season. Don't do it
2: again.
0: <laughs> Yeah.
2: Well, I will say that the part of this that sequence I loved was Ashley Stubbs literally kicking a bunch of people's asses with one arm more or less tied behind his back.
0: Yeah. yeah can You can know, we uh, talk you know what? About that, Stubbs for a minute. Yeah. I, t- just he second. had an emotional roller coaster just in this episode.
1: Yeah. Just a, by the way, a backstory on that. So it turns out that that's not just uh, uh, just good fight. Coordination. We're talking true method acting by uh, Hemsworth uh, because what had happened, why he gets shot in the arm, was not that it just made good television. He'd actually injured himself two days prior Ooh. H- hanging a big-ass flat-screen TV in his house. <laughs> You're kidding me. No, no, it's a, it's an interview online. I I, I saw Ooh. the uh, the excerpt from today. So he's up hanging the thing, and he completely dislocates one arm. But he said, oh my God. I managed to have, still hang the TV. But his like his one arm, it basically does not work, right? So he's got to show mm-hmm. up, you know, two days later to film this thing. So they came up with the consent Okay, we're gonna have you shot. And then you're gonna beat the fuck out of everybody with only one arm. With one arm. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons they did it that way. So
2: just. And I you're... love that, that that Stubbs is kind of like Mike McNolla's Hellboy. He's just a blue collar. <laughs> he's he's just a blue collar guy just doing his job. He doesn't care about the big picture. He'd really rather not be bothered by it. You know yeah. he doesn't want to stop and think about the nature of his existence. He's just like, you need protectant. Okay, I'll beat the snot out of these guys. Um, and he okay, even what's says next?
0: too at one point, like, I wasn't programmed to think about big picture stuff like you or something. Yeah. Like very, very casually, just kind of drops that in. Yeah.
2: But yeah, it's nice that you know he's just he's pure. I really like that about him. And he seems to be incredibly self-aware for
1: a host. What did Ford say about Stubbs last season when he's talking to Bernard? He said, uh, that boy's got a good head on his shoulders. (laughs)
0: Well, I guess he'd know. He built it.
1: Yeah, he'd know he built it. And so um, uh, he was obviously a favorite of Ford's for whatever other reason. Yeah. And Ford trusted him as a host to do all this work. He wasn't just an, uh, although he's not introspective, he wasn't an automaton, right? Yeah. So uh, it's a very interesting line to walk with that character. And it sets up like the best buddy film ever, right? For the
0: That dynamic is going to be a delight. I really hope they continue hanging out and whatever kind of escapades this leads to, I'm here for it because yeah. their chemistry is really fun and we didn't really get a lot of that before now. Like the two of them together for extended periods of time.
2: Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. and First the other thing, number,
2: what happened with Elsie? Cuz I miss Elsie. I know she Bernard found her in the cave, but did she get off the island okay?
0: No, no she got no, no, no. got Charlotte killed her Charlotte killed her oh down. Charlotte mowed her down, yeah,
2: oh, Charlotte
0: in the mesa, I know um the thing about Stubbs that I loved was right from the start, like it was exactly him when Bernard comes across him, and all of a sudden he gasps for breath, and Bernard kind of freaks out I and mean, I freaked out um. When that happened, uh, you know, he's, you know, no shit, sh- you know, and he's all like glitchy and weird and everything. And he's no shit, you know? And like, the, you know, like that's the first thing out of his mouth is, you know, you know, what the hell is wrong with you basically. And it was really funny to watch, to watch that, like absolutely 100% be Stubbs right from the get go. was a lot and of fun. That was
2: such a terrific performance. And man, when, when, you walk into a room and the inert, uh, blank eyed copies of yourself staring back at you, sheeted in plastic, are only the second creepiest thing in the room. It's yes. a pretty
0: creepy room. That's yeah. a very creepy room. Yeah. Maybe did minimize you, your exposure to that room.
1: Did you notice the thing that he saw before he walked in the room, the stain on the wall? Yes. Uh, yeah. Bash Teresa's head Teresa. in. Teresa. Yeah. yeah. So, like, how much stuff uh, is going through uh, Bernard's head right now? I mean, he's obviously worried to death that, you know, Dolores is, is screwing with him by planting something inside him. I didn't understand his desperation last episode until he articulated it this time. It's like, oh, yeah, I'd worry that somebody had messed with my code, too, I guess. Because you know yeah. we see him how easy it is for him to have done it to Stubbs there at the end, right? Yeah. So uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess if somebody can you know uh, set an interrupt and uh, go uh, drop it uh, down into the debugger and uh, <laughs> you know change a few lines there, uh, you'd be and you were aware that that could happen. Uh, you'd be pretty nervous too, but. Here's the thing, and like I said, I think in our first analysis episode, I forget when I said Mm -hmm. it. I'm not sure who's the good guy, who's the bad guy here. I don't know if Dolores is going to be the super, you know, evil person in some ways that she was last season. Yeah. Or if she really has... Some other kind of plan that you know it, you know destroy humanity enslave humanity uh, Bernard said that's what he's assuming, but even he tells stubbs i i don't know what she's up to, yeah right, and
0: but, but he knows that he's around to check that to check the worst of whatever impulse it is that she's having that's yes. the only thing he knows for sure right, so
1: i don't know if Dolores is. The smartest host because of that, or
2: the craziest host because of that, or both? (laughs) I mean, historically speaking, people who have grown up knowing brutality and then advocated for and fomented violent revolution don't always know when to stop. Uh, I'm thinking Che Guevara in Cuba. I'm thinking the the terror in the French Revolution. Um, Yeah. So, and yeah, Dolores certainly has legitimate grievances. She has every reason to be furious. She's had some bad times in her life. But maybe Dolores has enough self-awareness to know that what she has in mind, she might go too far. Um, and it's, it is. It's it's interesting to think who to root for. Bernard is on the side of life. And that's always important. But he's also on the side of the status quo. And as we could see from the first episode, the status quo is not great for a whole lot of people, human or robot, Yep. Right. So hopefully they'll they'll strike a balance um, between the the two of them, um, rather than being manipulated by the forces of the status quo to tear each other apart.
1: Right. The other thing is, like, what's what's Serac? Uh, uh, what's his perspective on it? Because if he if he's truly the evil guy, the the right way to construct a villain is to make him the hero of his own story, right? Yeah.
2: Well, Sorok is a a wealthy white man, so he's by default the hero of his own story, at least in his own mind. (laughs) Yes.
1: This is true. Yeah, uh, very true. Yeah. But, But he even, I thought it was interesting in his conversation at the end with Maeve, is that, you know, when she makes the supposition that you know he's uh, he's setting himself up to be the God, and he said, "No, no, no, it's, uh, it's something I helped create." He even said he didn't say, "I created, I helped create." so yes. I thought there were like odd touches of humility or honesty or self-awareness there,
0: yeah, and I so it was he, more
2: like a humble brag. Possibly, I, I, but I, I feel, feel f- like Sorok is a big old dummy um,
0: and <laughs> not
2: very humble at all because, look, it's Mave. Maeve's whole thing is if you try to control her, she will break free and kill the hell out of you. He has just seen her do this in real time. In a simulation, he trapped Ooh. her in a simulation, and she broke out. Enlisted a robot that was, you know, just walking around. I guess cleaning the floors to kill the hell out of a bunch of technicians and bust her little brain ball out. And then he's like, "Nope, I got, I got this. I can totally handle this." Yeah, I. It It, re- it reminded me of the way you know both Maeve and and Dolores are encountering men who are going to, it seems, possibly make the same mistakes as every other man they've interacted with. Dolores is going to, you know, find some sweet, noble guy who thinks she's a damsel in distress and will inevitably get himself riddled with bullets trying to help her. And Serac is like, oh, I can just control Maeve. That's no problem. Dude, just because you have a literal remote control that stops your motor functions, don't think you're safe.
0: Just because you have that and it worked for you once... I think is the real problem. Like yeah. he's just going to rely on it. And because that was my burning question at the end of this episode was he says like when we talk again and I wondered how many times they had spoken already because yeah. everything on this show is you, you can't take for granted. So that's, tr- is that, that's true. Is that true? Is that the first conversation?
1: That's true. But I, I, I don't think memory wipes have worked really that well on Maeve. So I doubt they're going to go there. But I got the impression is he's still trying to persuade her, which I thought was interesting, yeah. instead of control her. And the other is that he obviously has something else in the value proposition to get her on his side. Yeah. What the hell is that? Is it? Does it have something to do with the Sublime and her daughter? Is it something else that may he... He divines that Mave wants out of this uh, wants from the world. I don't know what that is, and so I'm very curious.
2: But I, my guess would be he just is gonna say you do this and you can do whatever you want. Uh, you'll be free. but you know Mave is not one to be given things. Maeve takes them
0: yeah so, we'll so see. I can't, we, I love- except for except for her daughter, I can't figure out what what he could offer her that she would find a value to trade anything, including the time it took to have this conversation for. Yeah. That's really where I'm at. Yeah.
1: So we don't know what that is. And we also know that we're not going to get the answer on that because, uh, Nathan, did you watch the previews for the next episode?
2: I did. And it looks like we are back to Caleb and Dolores, which is awesome because I like those two characters a lot, and I want to see too. what they're doing.
1: Well, it looks like we're... Uh, this one is going to be, you know, the first episode was a uh, Dolores and Aaron Paul centric episode. Second episode mm-hmm. was a Tandy Newton and Jeffrey Wright centric episode. This looks to be a Tessa Thompson uh, centric episode. I'm guessing it's also going to have Ed Harris as a focus
0: uh, oh. this time,
1: because you can't go three episodes without having, Ed Harris, or, you know, people are going to yeah. like knock things down. So uh, the whole people thing... People like Don. Yeah, <laughs> like me. And you know, I, I, I got to have... I got to have... Some Ed Harris! Or we riot! Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, because uh, I think the character is so, so complex. So both evil, but sympathetic, because... You see that evil in yourself if you really want to be honest. And so that's why I find his character fascinating. He, and he's a great foil for Dolores. And I'm sure they're going to have a lot of, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, scene chewing between Evan Rachel Wood and Ed Harris. So the other thing that's going to be big this episode, they're hinting at is who the fuck is inside Tessa Thompson's body. And why the hell is she trying to be mom to Bernard's son? Because Uh you recognize who's on that table there.
2: Oh, that was Bernard's son? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I did not pick up on that. I just thought it was super creepy as a a parent of two young children. The idea of being replaced with a total stranger wearing my body who tries to be a parent to my children is uh, pretty terrifying.
1: Well, yeah. it, it might be that, but I assumed that this was going to be Bernard's son. So I I want to know what's what the hell is going on with that. So
2: uh,
1: Wait, but did Bernard
2: even have a son? Wasn't that just fake backstory? Well, no, no. And wasn't his his backstory that his son had died? Yeah, because
1: Arnold's so. sons Arnold's son had died. Yeah,
2: that's that that
1: was
0: that's where this all came from.
1: Yeah, Bernard is basically a copy of Arnold before they could really copy people. And uh, the reason why he's such a good copy of Arnold is, uh, uh, is because uh, Dolores spent many accelerated hours uh, in the simulation, you know, tuning him to her mm-hmm. memory of how Arnold behaved because other than Ford, Dolores knew Arnold the best, right? Yeah.
2: Oh man, I had forgotten all of
0: that. And her and her memory, as we found out from Felix and Sylvester, um, the hosts' memories are perfect and never fade over time. So to them, it's like it's happening right now. So whenever she worked with Bernard, she could be. nope, that's not what Bernard would. That's not what Arnold would say. That's not oh, how he would do so like it. Panic that's from
2: the good place.
1: Uh, in a creepy, (laughs) creepy way. Yeah.
0: (laughs) In a very creepy way. Yes. Um, so it was, so I, yeah, I'm, when I saw that, I'm, I wasn't sure. And then I replayed it back and I think it's even the same pajamas. Yeah. So, um, I'm very interested in how that will work. Yeah. And even she says like, why is this who I have to be or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, I'm I'm very curious about that. But I'm 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 excited that we're going to get back to Dolores and Caleb, mostly Caleb, because I kind of know what Dolores' deal is now, and I just want to find out more about him.
2: You want to see pink again? I, yeah. I do. I was I was going to say, you know, I I kept waiting for him to do something delightfully wacky in the fashion of Todd Chavez from <laughs> Yes. Hey, Dolores. You know what we should do? A theme park (laughs) full of robots!
0: (laughs) Yeah! Science! (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that would be fun. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this season turns out and how it fits with the other two as a unit of storytelling. Because I kind of get the feeling that, like, they have an idea where they're headed and they know how much of this story they have to tell. And... I think this might be one of those situations where uh, the people in charge of the show get to really be in charge of the show. And I don't think HBO is going to lean on them to just keep cranking out Westworld till the end of time. So I really hope that this is one of those, like, we have a coherent story to tell. It goes from here to here to here, to here to here, and then we're done. We've told you the story we want to tell you. You know, uh, like you mentioned The Good Place, Nathan, like The Good Place, like it had an arc here's where it started and here's where it ended and that was the story we wanted to tell and we're done and I'm hoping that this gets to be treated the same way and that we don't have a season of flail in the middle like we did with Lost before anybody figured out what they were doing.
2: Oh, I don't know. Jonathan Dolan doesn't really come from a family of storytellers that are known for their detailed plotting in advance, so... (laughs) (laughs) He's just (laughs) winging it.
1: (laughs) He's just winging it. Uh, Sure. Yeah, yeah, him and his... uh, Him and his... Brother, take meticulousness uh, to a really creepy extreme. Sometimes, yeah. uh, and uh, which I like, by the way, uh, being a meticulous person myself, uh, they also love to play the whole idea of you're you think you're watching this. But
0: you, mm-hmm.
1: you're going to find out at the end, you're really watching this, right? Um, yeah. It, it's, it's, a, it's like a less gotcha version of M. Night uh, Shyamalan uh, and, uh, and a, a lot more cerebral. Uh, so I, I really like that. Uh, that's one reason I tune in. The other reason is, uh, you know, after two seasons, I've really grown fond of the set of characters. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, for many of the actors that populate this show, I would really watch an hour long episode of them eating lunch or, you know, (laughs) or, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Or, or ordering takeout or, you know, just doing mundane things. They're just such cool, interesting people. The fact yeah. that it's wrapped up in these marvelous stories uh, keeps me going. But also to echo something that Kelly said, I'm really curious to get to the end of the season to see how that fits with the other two seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Like what, you know, we know that the... the uh, the themes, uh, what was that? The second season was called uh, The, the Door. Door. The first uh, season uh, was called The Maze. What's yeah. the label for this season? They haven't hinted at us what that is yet. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. And so I'd be really curious as to what they're thinking is there. So, but I, But I love a puzzle box... Uh, yeah. when it's it's not improvised. I don't like improvised puzzle boxes. They piss yeah, me. I, yeah.
2: Want, I want to be a fly on the wall at the initial meeting that Nolan and Joy had with J.J. Abrams, where they're trying to explain <laughs> to him that, yes, you can actually plan a story in advance so that it has a solution. <laughs> yeah. No, Abrams really. is like, wait, 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 slow down. Walk me through this one more time. J.J., <laughs> we've been here for three hours. No, 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 just 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 humor me. Mm. Yeah. Uh
1: so uh yeah, we know he's a goober. But he has brought us some <laughs> some uh some entertaining TV and some entertaining movies. Uh oh, yeah. it's it's uh uh for example, uh I don't did you see The Watchman or Watchman last year? Lindelof's
2: yes. uh, Watchman. Uh, Which I
1: think is um Uh, After the first season of Westworld is now my second favorite season of a television show. Because that was truly... That was truly figured out and just totally fucked with me in just this marvelous way. And, And it was it was constructed uh, just beautifully self-contained everything like
0: Mm -hmm. that.
1: Uh, Which is one of the reasons I like the first season of Westworld. You could have not seen anything of Westworld after Dolores uh, uh, pops a cap in um, uh, Ford's (laughs) head. Uh, And it, It still would have been a great series with 10 episodes. That's how well constructed that was. Uh, So uh, season two of Westworld was not that good. Still pretty goddamn good. Wasn't up to that level. I'm curious if they can get past the sophomore year into the junior year here and see if they can top that. And then we're going to see what they do for varsity. Right. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I did want to say, uh, and this is an interesting, hopefully interesting bit of cross pollination uh, on another incomparable podcast uh, with Shelley Brisbane, lions, towers and shields, which covers classic movies. We watched a movie from 1933, I think called baby face starring a young Barbara Stanwyck. Mm -hmm. And it is the eeriest representation of Dolores, um, that I think I've ever seen. Stanwick plays a ruthlessly manipulative, um, mostly heartless woman who uses her feminine wiles to advance herself at uh, the literal cost of pretty much every man she uses and discards. She, uh, she gets one guy to murder another of her paramours. She gets another guy to, to commit suicide and the whole time uh, Stanwick's performance reminded me so much of Dolores she's her her face is framed by this tightly controlled blonde hair and she has such precise control over her facial expressions just like Evan Rachel Wood does and so she'll be all smiles and flirty with a man when she wants something and the instant uh, the instant his back is turned her face goes cold and dead it was like Ooh. the young dolores adventures um and <laughs> If you're a fan of Dolores, if you're a fan of Evan Rachel Wood's performance, check out Babyface with Barbara Stanwyck. You can rent it off iTunes. That movie will blow your mind. Mm, interesting. I'm looking
0: forward to it. All and I that. have to check
2: wonder whether Evan Rachel Wood saw that and based the character in any part on that. Because the performances, to me, are so frighteningly similar. Wow.
0: Interesting. We'll have to check it out. Well, I...
1: I got to say, uh, Evan Rachel Wood is one of the best face actors in the world right now. She is yeah. just, she can just run the entire range. But it's not like everybody else in the cast is a slouch either, so. Oh,
0: now, yeah.
1: You know, that's the uh, that's a difficult thing about the show is you just wonder, how the hell did they get all of these great people together?
0: Uh, Probably I mean, I they all read it. and went yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, uh,
2: it's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. Any uh, final thoughts from you on this episode, Nathan?
2: I just wanted to say that I um, we were talking about the bicameral mind, and I wanted to highlight how much I loved Tandy Newton's performance because with Maeve, there's the real Maeve, and then there's the project the projection she gives to others. So the projection is the cool badass unflappable woman who will and I cannot express how much I love this flick aside a frozen bullet from the air like a minor annoyance but yes. then there's also the vulnerable frightened deeply human Maeve underneath all of that and I love watching her play yeah, you know yeah. showing you the 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 mm-hmm. the scared Maeve and then watching her put on the brave awesome you know you would follow this lady anywhere Maeve
0: yeah I love her and My final thoughts on this episode are, um, I think the next episode is like, we've had some setup, like this is kind of where everybody's at right now, except for Ed Harris. And so I think next episode, we're going to get a little bit of setup for the rest of our folks and then things are going to start jumping off. And so I'm pretty excited to see where the next episode or two end up. Um, because I think that's when we're really going to start getting into it. Don, how about you?
1: Oh, yeah. What you just said. Yeah. Yeah. Just (laughs) just just roll that back. Yeah. No, totally. (laughs) I mean, uh, I am like uh, I am just super stoked for uh, Sunday night. Now, here's here's a really weird thing. When the season was coming up, I was almost dreading it uh, because, you know, one, it could never be as good as, you know, what you know, what you remember from the past or what you think it could be and then there's the whole uh work aspect of it it's like how do i even sound you know coherent setting aside sounding intelligent at all about what the hell i'm talking about (laughs) Uh, how do i do that so it's like almost dreading it uh but i am just so totally stoked for uh sunday night uh seeing it and then immediately um well, you know, I have to take my dog out to pee first. But after that, <laughs> talking to Kelly about it, uh, and uh and then seeing where that uh take us uh takes us, the possibilities. And by God, the very meta thing about the show right now that's keeping me going is, you know, uh the whole world right now, let's uh let's face it, is just one horribly written Black Mirror episode going on yeah. on so many levels. For sure. And so this show has just given me like, I, I mean, it, it's, the themes are almost like frightening and depressing and the reflection back of the real world as it is, is also frightening when you think about it, but it's also, it's also this marvelous escape. It's the weirdest damn thing.
2: Because it unlike is. our reality, this reality has people in charge who know what they're doing and are, are competent and capable <laughs> Yep. and have that. concerns, hopefully, beyond uh, the feeding and stoking of their own egos. Yep. Yep.
0: Yep. I do like that, that it's, it's you know, an hour I can kind of check out, you know, like, let's go to a different place for a little while. That always makes me very happy.
2: Oh, a hard-fying so. dystopia where uh, where the, the lower classes are brutally <laughs> oppressed.
0: Oh, it's so relaxing. <laughs> I
2: want to go to there.
0: Hello yeah. and welcome to 2020, Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> that's where we're at. Uh, yeah. I mean, re- remember Yeah, remember when last year it was like, oh, I really like Chernobyl. Remember that?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah so, my, anyway. My, <laughs> wife,
1: my wife and I found uh, those five hours of Chernobyl and the Marvelous podcast that Mason did uh, afterwards. Uh, yeah. so... Ah, <sighs> and that's just yeah. that's just wrong. Right. Just wrong exactly. on so many levels. Exactly.
0: <laughs> well, All right. that's gonna do it for us this week. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much for coming by and joining us. Thank you
2: very much for inviting me. I had a wonderful time, and I hope I didn't blather like an idiot.
1: No, but no, even if no you more did, than it the two great. of us do. Yeah, no more than the yeah. two of us. We we just thoroughly enjoyed you uh, having you here, and your insights are just t- awesome.
0: Yes. So much fun. Don, thank you
1: as
0: always. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't think of anything funny to
1: say, so I just grunted. Sorry. Yeah,
0: whatever. Yeah. So do we
1: want to point out where people can find Nathan if they want uh, more of his wisdom? And
0: That's where we're <laughs> Almost
2: at? Almost nowhere. Um, <laughs> I, I am an, a frequent but not regular guest on uh, Lions Towers and Shields. You can occasionally hear me on the Incomparable Mothership uh, if you look hard enough, you can find my articles at iMore.com, and beyond that, I have no social media presence, and I'm very, very happy with that.
0: As yeah, you man.
2: should be. Yeah, yes. Yes.
0: All right. Uh, you can find you can find uh, Don on Twitter.
1: Don Melton. There you go.
0: And uh, you can find me on Twitter as Verso You can find the show on Twitter As Westworld Rewind And uh, we will be talking to you on Sunday night The minute we are done uh, Watching the show and walking the dog For one of us Um, Thank you all for being here We will talk to you all on Sunday In the meantime Be excellent to each other